You know, I'm so glad, uh, you know, we talked at uh, Belazel or Be Belzalel or Big Bad Boozle uh, in Aholiab, which is always, I think, oh, holy lab. So Aholiab, uh, people are gifted by the Holy Spirit to be craftspeople, to be, to be artisans. And a lot of times when people talk about the Holy Spirit, they really niche what the Holy Spirit does. But I think of this in terms of the Holy Spirit. Every non-instinctive act of creativity for non-utilitarian beauty for certain is somehow partnered with by the Holy Spirit. If it, if it doesn't feed you, house you, clothe you, and dress you, and it's creative, that certainly points to God because God, just, God doesn't create because he's not going to eat if he doesn't create. But also in the, in the functional things we create, we create beauty as well. You know, we, this isn't just merely a shelter from the storm. Artisans worked on this building to make it a thing of beauty that somehow entering in here with the stained glass and the space and the community, that we experience a sense of beauty while being protected from the elements. Now, uh, a lot of animals might not care about the design elements of where they live as far as non-utilitarian beauty does, but people care. People care, and part of that is we are created to crave beauty because God is a beautiful God who creates beauty. And I mentioned uh, last week that we are remix artists because everything we create from, even the gray matter between our ears that fuels that creativity is a pre-existing creation. And we collage and bring things together and the idea is humans partner with God in recreation, which we also call recreation, because it's fun to be involved in being creative. And this is something, now, we talk about praying for gifts. Has anyone ever prayed for, like, everything? Like, just make me good at everything I'm bad at. Has anyone ever prayed that prayer? Just me. Okay. Well, I want to talk about me, then. Um, what I found is God always answers the prayer to increase your gifting in an area he wants to gift you in. But God is not interested in someone having all the superpowers. God builds families and teams. God doesn't create Superman. That was Jesus already. God creates people with specific superpowers that can all come together to form one team. There's so many metaphors for this, right? One body, many parts. So I've been praying for years that I could think in a linear fashion. I've been praying for years that I could remain organized and together. I've been praying for years for a different attention span. And, oh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you've ignored my pleas, could be one answer. But what I found is, when I ask God to increase my abilities to do what he's called me to do, he does that. He does that, maybe in marginal levels, maybe the big levels, but God is not interested in making any of us good at everything. God enjoys his people being somewhat niche because together then we form a mega installation of God's beauty with each creative person creating the way God's created them to create. Some of you may say, well, I'm more of a concrete operations engineering person. Well, that is art. By the way, that is art. Load-bearing structures that people can live within are beautiful. 
What's the ones they can't live within can lead to death and post-traumatic stress and all these other things. Everything, everyone is an artist in one way or another. Everyone is a creative in one way or another. And every one of us is tremendously limited by what we can create with, how much time we have to create, and where we get to create it, and how people interact with it. We all work with serious limitations. So I want to begin um, reading the first scripture today. Jesse's going to read that. And then we're going to have Luis and Jesse again, but we're going to space out the readings. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 in the message. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God, and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred, and you, remember, are the temple. So, really quick history of the universe, life, the universe, and everything. Uh, the Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament. First chapter begins with this beautiful poem. It's actually not a scientific description. Uh, I don't, it doesn't really use the vocabulary of scientific descriptions. And they didn't have science back then anyway. <laughs> but it is a poem that uh, describes the creation of world in six days with this parallelism of three days, you have a substance for three days, and you have form for three days. So it's like this Hebrew chiastic balance poem. You don't have to know what it is, but it is poetry. But it also parallel, it's almost like a rhetorical answer to all the other creation stories that people adhere to. But instead of the gods being a bunch of rapacious frat boys who are fighting all the time, it was the one good god is a good god who cares about humans, and humans are beautiful, not just ancillary uh, offspring of chaos, all right? The, so it took that common song and covered it and infused with it a much more beautiful melody and much better story and lyrics. And then, but it also functioned to parallel descriptions of temples, the way a temple was built in the ancient Near East. Every culture was religious. There were no non-religious cultures that we know of. And every culture would create a space to interact and appease their angry frat boy gods, who, or whatever, you know, or their uh, corporate raider gods, or whatever their, you know, the vision of gods in the ancient Near East is really terrifying, by the way. You could not tell any of their stories without, I don't know, they're depressing. Well, anyway, so these ancient Near Eastern, but it always ended with all these elements of the garden. In the very center, there was an idol to that god, where when you look at that idol, you're supposed to derive some idea about that god. And humans are commanded later on in the story not to create graven images. One of the reasons idolatry is wrong. Also, God already created an image that makes people want to seek him, and that's humans. So why, you're basically saying, I want to get this, I want to, instead of being formed in God's likeness through following God throughout my life, I'm going to make a rock do that. And it's basically saying, I'm going to take myself out of the most amazing story that could possibly be lived and stick a rock in it, or stick a job promotion in it, or stick a 401k in it, or something like that. When we're called to kind of be the idols of God, meaning God's artistic masterpiece that reflects that he's a good artist. So the story goes, the temple gets vandalized by sin. So God calls a nation to kind of become a temple people. 
that I'm going to choose you and it's going to culminate in you guys building a temple that is a symbol of God is with humans and is with us in this. And eventually they create the temple and shortly thereafter it gets destroyed and they mess it up anyway and they do lots of bad things in the temple. And the temple gets rebuilt, gets destroyed again, and then Herod rebuilt, or really rebuilt the temple. And Jesus had zero cares given for that temple. I mean, he vandalized it actually, I think, or at least he, he engaged in a protest. So the idea is God creates people in the universe as a temple, and people point to him as the God. Then he creates a temple people. And then, as Jesse read, we are the temple. We, vosotros, you know, you guys, we, not you individually, me individually. Most of the Bible, when you read you, 90% of the time you have to read y'all. Okay? Y'all, I mean, that, that sounds like, what, Southern slang or whatever, but really, y'all is biblical Bible language. Because 90% of the yous in the Bible are y'all. Or uh, vosotros, nosotros, right? So Spanish is much better uh, when it comes to conveying the Bible. Yens, yens. Okay, Pittsburgh, that would be for Bob right there. Our, our Pennsylvania represent yens. That's another good Bible term, yens and y'all. So anyway, we are collectively the temple. So where it was a garden, with us as the center, and where it was a people with a temple, and with the Ark of the Covenant being the presence, and now it's this ragtag bunch of misfits that on every place in, on the planet today are gathering to worship Christ, and somehow... With warts and all, we are the collective image bearers of God. And not because any of us has it all together, but generally God is working some element of togetherness in everyone that calls his name. And even some people that haven't called upon it yet, God, God is not a respecter of algebraic order of operations. And I believe he is at work in everyone in one way or another. And it's just a question how good people are at hiding it. So, this idea that um, we are the temple, because otherwise, the temple was destroyed, as of today, 1,952 years ago, the Jewish temple was destroyed. And within Judaism, they had a huge crisis, because they lost their land and they lost their temple. And you know, what? It, in the first century, to be Jewish did not mean you took a 23andMe test and it said you're genetically Jewish. It meant you were people that were affiliated with this temple. You were affiliated with this territory. And you were followers and readers and practitioners of Torah. Temple, territory, Torah. The three tiers, T's of Jewish identity. And what happened was the temple was destroyed. The land was taken. Countless copies of the Torah were destroyed. And the people, the Jewish people had to come together, and you can study this in history, to say, well, where is our identity? And our identity is where the people, where God is present, wherever Torah is read with reverence. And, and so it narrowed down from temple territory and Torah to Torah. All right? Because they're two main symbols. But we practice the presence of God is the temple... We are the temple of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The territory is all of it. The territory is for God so loved the whole cosmos, the whole world, everything. The temple, the territory, and the Torah, the law, 
is written on our hearts by the power of the Spirit. Because I don't know if you've read much Bible, but most of it isn't telling us to do anything. Most of it is story. Some of it tells us to do it. But the Bible says all of it is profitable for teaching, uh, correction, training, for doing God's righteous works. And what that means is if you have a story in the Bible that doesn't say, like the days of creation doesn't say, so therefore thou shalt recycle. All right? But there's a Holy Spirit that when you read this beautiful song about how much God loves his creation, it, the Holy Spirit might inspire you to take better care of it. Or as one person shared with me, is when he read about men and women are image bearers of God, this person says, well, casual hookups are not really a good thing if this is true. If I'm just using women for sex, that is not honoring the story. And the Holy Spirit spoke to this person through the days of creation about being a womanizer. That is the Holy Spirit, that is the law written on our hearts where the most weird bits of scripture if we're open, can inspire us to an act of courage or an act of love, act of faithfulness, act of kindness. And that's, that's the Bible. Now what happens, a lot of times people try to proof text, and what we do is we take this story and turn it into a system. And guess, every major evil, systemic evil, not personal evil, listen, you'll have broken people within every family and every system. There's always the weird uncle. All right? I'm the weird uncle in our family. But uh, you'll always have that disruptor. But when you have a system that produces abuse or coercion, it always comes from a system. Because you cannot derive a, a structural abuse from a Jesus. You cannot derive that. And that's why um, there's two kinds of learning. And this is very important. There's intensive and extensive. Intensive learning is the microscope. And that's helpful for some kinds of learning. We need, like, Fraser, how small do your studies go in nanotechnology and biology and cancers and stuff? That's intensive study. Life and stories are lived out of extensive study. The core narrative, though, so the question is, people go so intense on one bit of the Bible that they miss the forest for the trees. And we miss the greater narrative. If you see the meta-narrative of God's goodness, you'll, you will not be, and you are open to the Holy Spirit, you will not be an act, you will not perpetuate injustice. But you can narrow down the structure and say, oh, I see this verse here, and out of the context of all the other scripture, it says women can't have authority over men. So this woman who's saying we have this... Uh, vulnerability of sexual abuse in our kids ministry can't be listened to and then you know you have an organization where kids are being abused but if you look at the greater whole of scripture the story you say well that can't be what they meant because the first resurrection sermon was preached by women uh, the first gentile pastor was lydia paul thought junia was the best apostle so within the greater arc of the story there's something else going on here so we interact with but expansive reading isn't trying to get everything i want to tell you guys get your audio bibles and just wash rinse repeat book of matthew just pick that if you're an early church you may have had one gospel and periodically got a letter on loan if you just spent the whole life listening to matthew on repeat didn't try to master it just try to feel it and eventually it's going to go deeper and deeper and deeper and we believe there's a supernatural component where the holy spirit will actually form your soul 
by eating this story till you sweat the story. It's an element, like reading scripture is more like communion. You know, it is a sacrament of reading scripture. And, but the thing is, we think sacred, we think getting it right. Don't get it right. Get it often. Get it often. And I, I love this. I've, I've seen people who have such high IQs, but such bad operating systems that they have learned every nuance of original languages of scripture, and they don't know the story. I actually watched a Greek professor I had who was so good at the dots and the T-crosses that had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that ended up repudiating their doctoral dissertation because they learned to read the story like any of you can read the story. Or I suggest listen to the story because the Bible is a spoken word art form. So I would like uh, Louise to come up and read. Mi hermano. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's so good to be back. Everyone give Luis an air hug. So I'm going to read Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 on the message version. It says, You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name of to the name Christian as anyone. God is a, is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what He is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus, with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape uh, day after day. A holy temple built by God, all, all of us built into it. A temple in which God is quiet at home. Quiet at home. There you go. Jesse? Thank you, Louise. This is First Peter 2, 5 in the message version. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests offering Christ-approved lives up to God. Oh, I love this. So, oh no, no temple. 19,052 years ago, guys, we got a temple and we've got construction bits. We've, we've got the ultimate kingdom Lego set from God provided to us. And we are those kingdom Legos, all right, that can form something beautiful. This, um, our church's mission statement from the beginning has been, we are endeavoring to live like Jesus by gathering a community of prayer that engages suffering. And all of this is done in response to him loving us first. The preemptive, immersive love of God. And we want to be formed like that. We want the, art, the artist, artistic masterpieces that every one of us are, we want to see restored expertly to be good representations of a good and wonderful and loving God. So we want to gather a community of prayer that engages suffering. People say, well, what about Bible study? Well, going back to what I said about the Bible, because the Holy Spirit is present in the reading of his word, all Bible reading is prayer. 
all Bible reading is prayer. So if it's boring, reinvestigate. Find a way to read it where it's not boring for you because it's a dialogue. And it's not boring, I believe, if you do it right. Now, if you, the intensive sometimes can be boring. But I would say the extensive over the long haul will transform you. Now, this idea that a community of prayer that engages suffering. If you don't know Jesus loves you unconditionally, it really sucks. You're suffering if you don't know Jesus offers you forgiveness for every past, present, and future failure. You're suffering if you don't know that Jesus loves you in a way you've never experienced from a mom or a dad and had at least some shred, sliver, splinter of that experience. You're suffering if you don't know that there is someone out there that knows every flaw, including the ones you're not yet aware of, to the degrees you're not aware of, and loves you. You're also suffering if you do not make a living wage. You're suffering if because of your uh, country of origin or color of your skin, that you are first to get in trouble, not first to be ignored by enforcement officers. You are suffering if you are a, a woman who is taken advantage of because of their gender in business relations, that you, get, you have a different pay level in the industry in which you work. You're suffering if you don't know Jesus loves you. Listen, engaging suffering isn't about just this niche of social justice or this is evangelism or this. No, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's gospel is bigger than any of those categories because kingdom hearts are loyal to the gospel join into this creative flow where is it art or is it you are you just helping people or you it's all of these things is it worship is it ministry is it outward focused inward focused no it's just jesus it's all these things the story is much easier to wrap your head around than a flow chart or a spreadsheet so we're having a discernment meeting following this service. And this discernment meeting is not the sky's the limit kind of discernment meeting. This discernment meeting isn't us asking, what is church? This, you know, this discernment meeting, I think of Minecraft. I love Minecraft. I was one of the, tell your kids I'm really cool. I was an alpha tester of the first version of Minecraft. I heard about it, read it, downloaded it, and lost so many hours of time. And I loved it. At first, I'm like, why? This has such low resolution. It's like Doom or something. It's got like these big blocky bricks. What can you do? It's so limited. And then you start finding out, wow, because it's so limited, I actually become creative because I got to figure out how to make things. It's like a Lego set where you're not breaking the bank, parents, right? Am I right, Legos? I mean... Man, I, I wish they invented Legos in a place with a much smaller economy and then that would be cheaper for us to buy it for our kids. Anyway, so uh, any, any Lego people still building with Legos here? Seriously? Come on. Luis, I know you and me are Lego buddies. Anyway, uh, what I love about Minecraft is, like, so many of our kids, do we have some, I, I solicited Minecraft designs, I think I got two. What is this called, Carlton? One of our kids made this, I think they called it Unicorn Greenhouse on Top of a House, or Glass Tree House. So it's just, these are, I don't know what kid did what. Do we have any more? But we have kids who live on Minecraft making spaces from Minecraft, right? 
And then it's like, okay, we're gonna get you an architecture school. You're gonna learn how to use a CAD and take care of mom and dad in their old age. Um, but because of the limited resources, people have made so many beautiful things out of Minecraft. You wanna do a head trip, Google Minecraft roller coaster. The Minecraft roller coasters are amazing, or they're Minecraft Beetlejuice. Just trust me, Minecraft Beetlejuice. And do you like Minecraft? Amos, I'm so glad. I like it too. Give me a fist bump, buddy. Since we're both Minecraft buddies. Bam! Okay. So I like to think in terms of church craft. You know what? Our church, when we started out, we had like a hundred some thousand dollar a year budget. 25% of that budget went towards Asia's Hope. And we got to play ministry craft. We'll be talking about this later. Uh, John and I were just reminiscing on Friday. Like, we had so little resources. We had so many constraints. And the Holy Spirit entered that space to build creativity, to create a paradigm that could be reproduced dozens of times over in ministering to orphans. So, in the same way, like, we don't need all the resources, or the best resource we have is you guys. Meet the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit-infused people. And here's, uh, we've got certain sandboxes within Central Vineyard. I like thinking of open-world sandboxes. Now, you, there's boundaries to that sandbox. There's a certain amount of sand in that box. And we get to create things. It's kind of like the early versions of Minecraft. You don't have all the chickens available yet or wolves, but you have some basic capabilities. We're like an early version of churchcraft. But here's the thing, we've got one sandbox right now, but we're, we're only gonna talk about a few each Sunday we do this, but we're gonna talk about the area of prayer, and we're gonna talk about the area of welcoming the alien and the stranger, and specifically our ministry of One Good Home. We currently are engaged both in praying and welcoming immigrants, but those are canvases with plenty other spaces to paint on. We have room for sculptures, canvases. We have room for engineering, entrepreneurs, artists, engineers, lyricists, whatever your gifting is, no matter what area you're gifted in, somehow God can take that and weave us into a group effort to grow in vitality and maturity what we're doing. So we're not talking about, oh, we're going to worship a different God and do different things here. We're talking about how has God equipped every one of you to be a part of the whole? And can we today discern out of all the good ideas, what might be some good God ideas to try out to see how God is speaking to you? Because frankly, you do not want to... I talked about limited capabilities and limited resources. If you just want one of the people who have the name pastor appended their name to come up with ideas to do it, it's going to be a really boring story. It's going to be a boring story because, frankly, right now, I'm in a somewhat of a low creativity period of my life. I would hate to think that I would become a bottleneck for all the myriad of ways we can welcome people because people would not experience God's love to the extent they could if it has to all go through me. I believe every one of us has been given a spark of God's creativity. And so this begins to sort. So we can stand. 
So this service, the reason we've been talking about mobile temples is because you guys are a temple. We're a temple. And guess what? If, if eminent domain, if OSU somehow works with the government and seizes our building, we will not miss a beat because God does not need, the church is not a building. Y'all's is the church. We all's is the church. In whatever shape, whether it's around the dinner table or in this room, Nothing is going to break the stride of the kingdom. Nothing's going to pull it down. So I would like, if you guys want to put your hands out, let's do a body prayer. Father God, in the same way you filled Belazel and Aholiab, those guys, I pray your spirit, whether uh, people have been here since day one or first Sunday, God, we all have equal access to your spirit. I pray you would not only fill us with ideas and passion, but you would fill us with the desire to be inconvenienced so others can know grace. That you would fill us in desire even to, uh, to limit our own options, to expand the options for your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, uh, there's some people here that feel like uh, there are two people in one body right now. They feel like I have so much vision for what I can do with God. And at the same time, they're racked with self-loathing and a laundry list of disqualifications. Guys, that is such a lie. I, I, we, anyone who's suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, or has any need, we want to pray for you following the service. We're going to start having people to come to the sides to pray for you. So we're going to cast a wide net. But specifically, if you've got a visionary and the walking condemned living in the same headspace. We want to pray for you because you need to hear another follower of Jesus, A, tell you that is a lie, and B, invite God to replace that lie with truth. Jesus Christ, I uh, just confess, God, we all have fallen short of all that you've dreamt for us. We've, done, we've expressed our own lack of creativity, and we've expressed selfishness, We've expressed uh, not worship of you. I ask for your forgiveness for all those ways we've missed the mark, past, present, future. God, that you would be our king and Lord, God. That you would not only forgive us for our broken patterns, but we would become healers of brokenness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I pray for this meeting we're half following, God that it would be like the glory of God has descended on the temple and everyone else gets to light up.